control how we interface with the world. And it starts by how we actually think about ourselves, about our lives, about others. And so I would offer that that sense of control is what we want. And actually, we have it in life. If we remember that amidst the situations and circumstances, we do have the ability to gracefully navigate even the most rough of terrain. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Dr. Jessica Matthews who's an award-winning and innovative educator and passionate advocate for lifestyle medicine, health behavior change, and whole person health. In 2021, she was named a fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine for her outstanding achievement in the field of lifestyle medicine and exceptional leadership and dedication to advancing the organization's mission. For nearly 15 years, she has contributed regularly as a health and wellness expert to numerous media outlets, including but not limited to CNN, The Washington Post and Oprah magazine. She is also the co-creator of the Health and Wellbeing Coaching Conference, the first and only dedicated professional conference for health and wellness coaches. You can connect with Jessica on social media at Dr. Jess Matthews. Jess, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Oh, Mark, what a delight. Thank you so much for the invitation. I want to dive straight in, Jess, and ask you, you know, you're an advocate for lifestyle medicine. You know, what does health mean to you? Health to me is wealth. And you may have seen that quote been floating around the, the internet, but health is wealth. Health really is the foundation by which we get to enjoy all of the beauty and complexities and all of the intricacies of life. And so to me, health really boils down, if you will, to being able to do the things that we love, to Mm. be with the people that we love, and to do it in a way that really brings us joy and happiness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It really is. It is wealth. It is really the foundation stone to everything you want to do in life. You know, how, how do you stay healthy yourself? This is an area I do always say with my students. They know I have quite a few what they know as Dr. Matthews phrases. (laughs) Um, I guess I repeat myself a lot. But one of the things I say is as 
practitioners, clinicians in the field. It's so important to practice what we preach. So mm-hmm. your question, the things I do are going to v- sound very familiar to those core tenets of lifestyle medicine, the pillars we know so well. So for me, I mean, for decades, it's been regularly exercising and that probably stemmed part to my early days working as a group fitness instructor. Uh, I'm going back a little bit now, Mark, like this was the days of step aerobics and high low. And so that might age me a little bit, but that was always something I enjoyed being active. So re- really being regularly physically active, not just formal exercise, but getting movement in my day, just enjoying walking, the beauty of being outdoors, eating nutritious, whole food, food that comes from the earth uh, is a good summary of it. But beautiful plant-rich foods are central to my diet. I've also been a longtime yoga meditation teacher myself. So having mindfulness practices for me personally, these are all really some of the cornerstones I would say many more, but those are a few of the things that really are central, you know, kind of stay healthy practices for myself. And I think, you know, when you talk about staying healthy practices, I think actions really do speak so much louder than words. And if you're advocating for positive health changes with people or with patients or in communities, you know, people are really interested in, well, what do you do yourself, you know? Is this an authentic message or is this just something that somebody works, does for their job or their, or makes a living from? You know, is this something that somebody passionately believes in? I think that really that really is the key. It's, it's what it's what you do yourself. It is. And it's so fascinating that you bring that up because there have been studies that have actually been done, uh, specifically a few that come to mind that were with regards to physicians and their mm-hmm. health behaviors. And in fact, it was more effective and they were more likely to counsel patients about various types of, you know, healthy practices, different health behaviors, if they themselves performed them. So it was, you know, the example of if you had a physician who say regularly engaged in resistance training, strength training, they were then more likely to be able to counsel with authenticity, which I love that you mentioned that piece, because that you know, people really can, they feel that it's almost palpable. But it was interesting to see in the literature that yes, in fact, us as practitioners, as clinicians, when we engage in these practices ourselves, not only do we one, understand the complexities of health behavior change, which is my area of passion and focus, as you know, but it really does enable us to one, engage in those conversations with our patients or with our clients, And to do so, like you said, in a truly authentic way that really connects with them and that really enables them to see, wow, they're a real life human being just like I am that Mm. faces challenges and struggles and they've had successes and achievements. And that really does make a difference when you're working again with real life human beings, excitingly. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned several years ago about the benefits of of strength training, and you know, a phrase I use is, you know, be stronger to live longer. And mm-hmm. and recently, Jess, I brought a fifteen kilogram dumbbell into my office, and it's under the desk, standing up. And it's really interesting the kind of comments that I get from patients. But I, I had a man who came in the other day, and he literally skipped into the office, and I had to do a double take on the chart to see what age he was because uh, chronologically he's eighty four but I thought maybe he was only about 60. Uh, he, he looked so fit and healthy. And while I was f- filling in a form for him, he leaned down, picked up the dumbbell and proceeded to do a, a set of bicep curls <laughs> and just for fun. 
And as he was leaving, he said, he said to me, you know, keep, keep up the, keep up the weights. <laughs> I love that now he's going, yeah, you have an accountability partner. You didn't even know he's going to hold you yeah. accountable and see, are you, are you keeping up with your strength training routine? And in fact, are you progressing? You know, that progressive overload is a principle of, you know, resistance training. So I love that story. And that's the kinds of things I think we can model, right? It has to be authentic. You actually have to live it, not just say it in words. Mm-hmm. Because just like you said before, actions speak louder than words. And our patients, our clients, whoever it is we might be serving personally, they really do know the difference. They're, they're smart, savvy people. And wow, what a way to inspire. Just by having that in your office, it demonstrates already your commitment to your health. And then in turn, your commitment to your patient's health as well. I mean, I've really been struck, Jess, by the evidence of people who, you know, practice good lifestyle habits in terms of, you know, in terms of their biological age, in terms of their their well-being, their health span and so on. I mean, I'm sure that's something you see as well. Oh, absolutely. And this to tell you, Mark, is really the reason that ultimately brought me, you know, kind of I, I wear many hats as, as you were sharing a bit about, but what brought me to really my current faculty appointment at Point Loma Nazarene University was to develop our Masters of Science in Integrative Wellness, which mm. At the time it launched was very revolutionary in its thinking of teaching things like lifestyle medicine, mind body medicine, health behavior change, health and wellness coaching skills, and many other you know courses that we teach. But it's because the evidence, as you said, is so overwhelming to say that when we engage in these health behaviors, and again, the six pillars of lifestyle medicine are such a fantastic foundation, really to come back to, to say, what are those health behaviors that we know have a wealth of evidence behind them that not only, again, enable people to live life joyously, like we were talking about, but also enable them to live long lives and truly live those lives, not just arrive at a certain age, but to live each of those years of life excitingly with great joy and vitality. And those things are possible with the types of health behavior changes we're talking about. If you were looking back on your life now, Jess, in terms of setbacks, because I, I, you know, I think it's something we all experience in life. Life is never plain sailing for any of us. Could you talk about some setback you've experienced, perhaps what you've learned from it, how you've grown? I will certainly would be delighted to do that. And that's a funny phrase to say. I'd be delighted to talk about a setback in life. But this is where the power of perspective really does come in, because the challenges we face in life, Mark, they're the things that do enable us to gain new perspective if we choose to take a challenging situation and say, what can I learn? The question you asked is so beautiful. It's what can I learn and how do I grow and evolve from it? And so I'm torn because there's actually many people, you know, like to highlight the things that kind of go swimmingly, right? The things that work out well, the awards, the accolades, the great work. But I actually also like to balance that by saying, wow, there's been a lot of challenges and and turbulent times in my life. And in fact, I'll share one and I share all these very openly. I do a lot of speaking, keynote speeches where I talk about this because it actually does then directly impact not only my perspective, but my professional work as well. And I'll share with you one of my greatest challenges that I faced in life was actually in 2010. Um, my father unexpectedly passed away and he passed away. He was at the age of 55 and he died by suicide. 
Oh, I'm sorry. And this was something to me as someone already very well ingrained, you know, in the health and wellness space, you know, working as a wellness professional, which again, stemmed from other aspects of my family's journey with chronic lifestyle diseases and really the ramifications, if you will, of those chronic lifestyle diseases, because they are robbing people of the joy in life when they're not effectively treated. And we know treating with getting to the root causes, which are lifestyle behavior related, is the essence. But with regards to my father's passing, what it illuminated for me as a professional, I mean, my goodness, it was so challenging and so devastating. Somebody says, wow, how, you know, how do you even process that, let alone move forward from that? And to me, what it actually fueled was I wanted to understand really whole person health better. I knew so much about physical health and well-being because that was my background and training as a formal exercise physiologist, as someone who had been in that space for many years. I knew nutrition very well through my formal training as well. But I really, to be honest, it's sort of that joke kind of from the neck up. There wasn't a lot of training that I had formally at that time. And so my father's passing really illuminated for me the complexities one of life. Uh, it illuminated for me the challenges people face. A year earlier, my sister had passed away unexpectedly. So grief is a real thing and is very difficult. And it really encouraged me ultimately as I emerged from that to say, I want to understand how to really help people holistically, mind, mm -hmm. body, and spirit. And you know what I need? I need actually more formal training and education in that area. And it's one of the prompting reasons that I did obtain my doctoral degree in behavioral health with a focus on clinical integrated care. Because again, I really did want to not just say, I address the whole person. I really wanted to understand the intricacies, the science, the evidence, and then again, the skills to be able to effectively work with people, mm. no matter what they may be dealing with in their lives. I mean, as a doctor, I meet a lot of people who experience grief. I mean, grief is it's universal, I suppose, for all of us. Um, at different stages. And I really don't think that, you know, time is a healer as such, but I think you can learn to gain new perspectives and you can gain to see things a little bit differently. And, and perhaps you can learn to, you learn to, you know, grow and move on to an extent. Absolutely. It's it's so true. And that perspective piece to me keeps coming up. And I love that the phrase I shared before resonated with you, because this is the kind of the, the heart. And it actually was one of the key messages. I had the privilege of doing a TED, TEDx talk. I know much like you uh, back in 2019 for me. And really, when I talked about this idea of reclaiming wellness, this was the frame for my mm. my talk was how do we reclaim our wellness? And it really comes back to the central idea of our perspective, the way mm -hmm. we see our lives, the world around us, how we interface with that complex world and beautiful world around us. But perspective really is powerful. And I don't think we talk as much about that when we talk about, you know, things that promote health and well-being often, you know, they are the health behaviors we talked about, which are really valuable exercise, healthful nutrition, but really the way in which we think, and this is what prompted me now for well over a decade plus, I've been very deeply ingrained in really understanding the science and I'll say the art of health behavior change, of understanding mindset, because that really to me is the foundation on which then these pillars of lifestyle medicine, right? These pillars of these different health behaviors mm -hmm. are ultimately built or ultimately 
struggle to be built without that solid foundation. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, all change starts on the inside and it starts with how you choose to see things and appreciating that you can see things a little bit differently. Um, you know, a quote I, I put out recently was just be still and see, you know, cre- create that inner stillness to give you the clarity to see things a little bit differently. Beautiful quote. And I'm a very big quote person. You probably, I know we're connected uh, online and we share many things and many passions, but I love a great quote because I really do think it gets to the heart of, wow, when we do take that moment, that pause, like you mm. mentioned, a lot in a very hectic world. So I'm kind of the, I'm the optimist and the realist. I like to say, like I'm a perpetual optimist, but I also am a realist to recognize life is full of challenges. Life is full of beauties. Life is full of complexities, things we'll never understand with our limited human understanding. But yet when we do allow ourselves that space and that time, like you said, to be quiet, maybe this is the meditation and yoga teacher in me, but really a lot of things do become quite clear when we take the opportunity to pause, reflect, and then maybe just an opportunity is the way I like to frame it often with my patients, an opportunity to maybe see something from a different lens and you'd Mm. be surprised what you might see in the process. Absolutely. And, you know, change, change can be slow and change can be difficult, um, but it can be so worthwhile. Jess, what advice would you give if you were looking back to your 21 year old self? I love this question because I'm going to think back to my 21 year old self. I'll share with you this, Mark, and, and it's not going to surprise some people who know me well. Since I've been younger, I've always been what people would refer to as a bit of an old soul, if if you will. And and I love that. I feel like that's like a very kind comment. A lot of wisdom, perhaps, in earlier times in my life. Not to say I knew everything, because I'm the perpetual, it must be the professor in me. I'm a consummate learner. There's always something new to learn and new ways to grow. And that's so exciting to me. And I never want that process to stop. But to be honest, at 21, just for context, At that time, I already was, oh goodness, about seven years into working, just about six, almost seven years into working as a fitness professional. So I kind of actually found, quote, my calling. I say, quote, because it obviously evolved in many different ways from that. But I share that as, you know, at that time, I was finishing up my undergraduate studies in exercise science and physical education. I was a licensed teacher, K through 12, though I always aspired to teach at a college level. But I had experience already working in a field I was so passionate about and working with, again, real life human beings who were wanting to and struggling to change their health behaviors, in this case, primarily around exercise. So the guidance I would offer my 21-year-old self, if now I had, you know, (laughs) the wisdom I have now, looking back, I would say earlier on, I would have loved to understand whole person health. I would have loved to understand more of the behavioral aspects, because Mm -hmm. at that time, I'll be frank, I really was, and it's very common for many of us in different professions, we wear our expert hat, quote unquote, And we think more knowledge will get people to change. And what the science tells us and what I know through, again, lived professional experience and personal experience with my own family members, information is not enough. So yes, knowledge is power. But as you sort of alluded to that word action before, it's knowledge translated into action that to me, I call the secret sauce. So Mm. the 21 year old version of me, I wish knew that earlier. 
I had a journey to arrive there. I'm glad I arrived there because it's enabled me to really impact and empower people to improve their health and well-being. But back at that time, I didn't know that yet. I just knew, hey, keep learning more, keep sharing more information. Mm. If you just give people enough education, they'll change. And then lo and behold, people weren't changing at the rate I thought they would change because I knew a lot of information. So that would be the advice I would offer is remember, knowledge is power, but it's knowledge translated into action. And that's where understanding behavioral science really comes in. And I, th- I think what you're highlighting really is, you know, it's one thing to have knowledge, but you need the experience as well in life. And, and, and experience doesn't come quickly. You know, you can't uh, wish away time but bring in the time and leverage it and, and 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 leverage it to your advantage and learn from your experiences and grow. And that's when you can, you know, ha- have an exponential, I think, upward spiral in terms of y- your insights into not just your own sense of holistic health, but in terms of how you can support others as well. Jess, I, I, I sense very strongly that gratitude and appreciation is something that's important to you. Am, am I right in saying that? You are 100% correct. It comes often where gratitude often stems from is many of the challenges in life. When you gain new perspective, you really live life quite a bit more gratefully. So not to say that I wish challenges among everyone, but we all will face some element of a challenge. But yes, gratitude is quite central. It's a foundational operating principle, I call it in my life. And also, of course, you and I both know the literature around it too is, wow, gratitude is powerful Mm. for your health. So when we talk about exercise being medicine, food being medicine, I just say gratitude is also some great medicine to be taking. And how do you stop just sort of hedonic adaptation kicking in in terms of your gratitude practice? In other words, how do you keep it sparky and how do you keep it real? Yeah, I mean, to me, it really has become, it's almost as I use the phrase, because it's what I describe it as, it's a central operating principle in my life. Meaning, again, I think when you do have, you were alluding to experiences. When you have experiences in life that are challenging, that really do, you know, that are unexpected, that are difficult to navigate. And when you do sort of come through them with an opportunity, now it's always a choice, it's an opportunity to, further evolve your perspective. But when you do, one of the things that often emerges is a grateful disposition. Mm. It's a recognition that, wow, the things that maybe at one time I thought, you know, were annoying or, you know, not as optimal, you start to see life a little more joyously is the way I'll say it. So to me, gratitude is honestly, it's second nature at this point. It's like how you wake up and brush your teeth. You almost Hopefully everyone's doing that, brushing their, brushing their teeth in the morning. But it's like that that central and that just ingrained in who I am. But, you know, different practices because there are different seasons of life. And so some of those really tried and true practices. And of course, in academia and also a researcher, I love things that are evidence-based. But, you know, for me, sometimes it, again, it's very gratefully ingrained in me. But sometimes things like writing down the three good things that happened in the day, just like Mm -hmm. that moment to, like you said, it's kind of the pause and reflect. And you really see, like, even when stuff's been challenging, you really see like, wow, I've got a lot of good things going for me. Mm -hmm. Sharing gratitude with others, you know, whether that's in written form, I've always been, and maybe I'm a little old school now. I don't know, but I love it. I'm a handwritten note kind of person. I love sending thank you notes. I love sending just notes out of the blue and doing that, by hand, there's something powerful mm. about that. And Martin Seligman and colleagues have done things around gratitude letters. 
So I would share there's some great positive psychology practices around gratitude that really are quite effective. And again, I don't just say these things as like theories. They're things I actually do practice in my own life. Mm. And I think it it is, you know, as I say, gratitude, you know, brings perspective to the past, peace to the present moment and a sense of powerful optimism for the future. And speaking of the future, Jess, looking forward, let's say three to five years from now, what do you hope might be different for you then compared to now? So fun to think about. This is, I love it. You're the forward thinking is like, wow, three to five years. I tend to like to think really big. If you haven't gotten this memo yet, yet about me is I think really like, wow, what could happen three to five years? That's so much time. And if I'm blessed with that time, well, what will I do with that time? Because I recognize time is the most precious commodity. It's like time and health. You have those two things you are really winning in life. And so for me, I would say one of the things I'm looking forward to that's on the horizon, hopefully even sooner than three years. So I'm going to put that out there to the listeners and to you, Mark, you'll be my accountability partner on this. Uh, But one of the things that has been really on my heart for quite some time has been to write a book. I've been involved in writing a book previously, involved in many academic textbooks, but there's a particular book in mind uh, that I really have kind of fully outlined and I think now have added through, again, lived life experiences. Maybe a couple of new chapters now are going to be included in the mix of it. But I see that being one vehicle by which to share my own journey, to share my passions, my learnings, my experiences, my perspective, as we've been talking about, with the hope that that will inspire and empower others. That's my central mission. That's why I believe I am here, gratefully roaming planet Earth, is to do that exact work. So I'll say the book particularly, and I already know the title, but I'm going to keep that part secret for just a little bit more. But that book is something I see in the near future. And then really being able to share that all over the United States and all over the world would be really kind of a great goal and dream of mine for the next three to five years. Well, you know, the best time to start is today, you know, just write a few words and you've started. And uh, I very much look forward to reading your book, uh, Jess, and reviewing it for you, if you like giving you a recommendation or endorsement. I know it'll be, it'll be a wonderful book and it will help and provide a valuable resource in the well-being space to so many. I know you you believe in giving back and, you know, I really feel in the, in the, you know, there's a beautiful Sanskrit saying Vasudeva Kutumbakam, which really means we're all part of one interconnected family. And, you know, you can never really give to yourself in life unless you're giving to others, you know, in terms of the sense of building um, community and so on. Is it important to you giving back, Jess? I really, Mark, we're just, I've arrived at the conclusion we might be best friends. You don't know this yet, but now I think we actually are. So I'm just (laughs) putting that out there and now it's going to be recorded and documented for all of time. Giving back is yet again, another one of my central operating principles. That is everything to me. I'm not sure what life would be about, and this might sound like a really bold statement, but I'm not sure what life would be about if it wasn't about serving others genuinely with a gracious heart, with a true sense of privilege to have the opportunity to support and give to others. And so to me, again, that is central in my life. It looks so many different ways, but it happens every single day. In some capacity, whether it's taking time to mentor a fellow professional, 
And I'm talking mentoring, just get on the phone or a Zoom with someone and share knowledge, experience, hear someone, helps them see their strengths so they can grow and then they can serve. Because, wow, what a great opportunity I have that I can help other people serve others. So I'm amplifying the service. But me, myself, I mean, that's everything from giving to people that I encounter in my local community, people I've never met, people who are unsheltered, people who don't have the resources perhaps you and I have, Mark, and actually having meaningful conversations with our fellow brothers and sisters out in the world. I mean, these are real people with real struggles. And believe it or not, when we have the means, and I share this is just for me, everyone can take what feels comfortable to them. But for me to have the means by which to support and give and serve others, why in the world would I ever keep that gift and that privilege to Mm -hmm. myself? So I could rant on, but if you can't tell, yes, you have struck on one of my core operating principles. Giving is central to living. And that's how you really live joyously. To add further to the joy conversation, when you give, you will live a joyous life beyond anything you can imagine. I mean, joy is such a wonderful emotion, isn't it? The positive emotion, it it transcends happiness. It's really a spark of extreme positivity, isn't it, joy? It is. And that's why I keep using that word because it's an intentional word choice on my part. Joy is just like, it lights you up. It really gives you, I mean, to me, again, this may sound like extreme, but these are reasons for living. When we think about what are we here on earth as humans to do, I believe it's to be of service to others. And I know you do that, Mark, so beautifully and so intentionally and so amazingly in so many ways through your phenomenal work. And that's, again, the opportunity I think we all have, no matter what professional hat we wear, you know, what job we have, what community we live in, what part of the world we live in, we all have this opportunity to be great human beings. Mm. And perspective helps shift and shape that to recognize that even when things are hard for us, we have perspective that, wow, you know what, humans collectively, we all struggle. And you know what, collectively, we as humans can all experience joy. And so what a wonderful opportunity to be part of creating that joy for someone else. Yeah, a phrase I use a lot is, you know, we make a living with what we get, but we make a life through what we give to others. And, you know, as you said, giving is living and having that power of perspective to choose to see things differently. Jess, in terms of seeing things differently, in terms of that, you know, that inner journey of the mind in terms of awareness, attention and and choice, could you give our listeners three take homes for a more resilient mindset? Mm, Absolutely. I'd be delighted to. A a few things come to mind. This is a topic, again, we could spend many, many hours talking about because there's lots of great tips I'd offer, but I will keep it to three. I will hold true. The one I would offer starting with, because this is really central and it's very commonplace, uh, especially again in a very fast paced world we live in. One of the tips I would offer is to view life as a spectrum, a beautiful spectrum, an array of possibilities, not as an extreme kind of option A or option B, or that kind of all or nothing, or sometimes referred to as black or white thinking. That will transform your perspective. It will help you also develop a resilient mindset because what it enables you to do is to recognize that when you face a challenge, it's not kind of the end all be all and that's it. 
you'll recognize that there's a slew of other possibilities along that spectrum beautifully of life that will maybe enable you to navigate a path forward through a difficult situation. So I'd say building a resilient mind starts with shifting away from what technically we refer to as various cognitive distortions, but one of the most common is that all or nothing thinking. So again, seeing life as a beautiful spectrum. The second kind of tip that I would offer for, again, cultivating this resilient mindset is really to take an opportunity to count your blessings. Because I Mm. do think going back to that gratitude, there is an opportunity, even when times are challenging, there is an opportunity to reflect on, but what's going right? We're so quick to say what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. That's really easy usually to point out. And people are quick to kind of go in that direction. But to say what's going right in my life, no matter how big or small, again, that starts to shift our perspective and it builds more resiliency. We start to actually realize, well, we've got some good things going for us. And then the last tip that I would offer with regards to, you know, really, again, cultivating this resilient mindset, I would share, you know, I'm torn. There's so many good things I want to share. I'm torn on this, but I would say, I think the biggest thing to recognize, and again, it was central in my TED talk, is to recognize that we really do have control in our lives because actually a basic psychological need, as you likely know, outlined in things like self-determination theory and many other models and theories of health behavior change is this desire for autonomy, a sense of control. And so in my TED talk, I use the illustration, remember this always in life. We can't always control the weather. And it's funny, it happens to be raining here today in, in usually sunny San Diego. We can't control the weather, right, that we encounter in our journey through life. We can't account for all the conditions of the roads, which we journey on, right? There might be potholes and bumps and other things. But what we can control is keeping our hands firmly affixed on the steering wheel of our own lives and recognizing that we have the ability to navigate and shift. And really what it starts with is we can't control the circumstances often. We can't control the actions of others, but we control how we interface with the world. And it starts by how we actually think about ourselves, about our lives, about others. And so I would offer that that sense of control is what we want. And actually, we have it in life. If we remember that amidst the situations and circumstances, we do have the ability to gracefully navigate even the most rough of terrain. You're so right. I mean, that's what Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher, said so wisely. Um, in his book, The Enchiridion, that, you know, there are many, many things in life we cannot control, you know, the economy, the weather, etc. But the one thing we can control is how we choose to respond in any given moment, our ability to choose our attitude, basically. And I mean, that really is the starting point to move forward in our lives one one step, one breath, one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Finally, Jess, for you, what's the meaning of life? What a great way to wrap up a conversation. I think I might do this with my students, Mark, is just, you know, throw in a good existential question of just like, what's the meaning of life? This <laughs> is a big one. And I think to we've highlighted actually just through our lovely conversation, I think we've highlighted some key things that to me are a part of the meaning of life. And I'm going to come back to that message of service. I believe that the meaning of life is to give generously. It's to give without expectation. It's to give because that's ultimately what God has put us here on earth to do is to give 
great love to others. Others, the people we know and love, we often think about, you know, the relationships we have, but I'm talking all the people on earth. We all are connected. You mentioned that before. And the interconnectedness of mind, body, spirit, the interconnectedness of us as human beings, that social connection we know is so important to health, well-being, vitality. But I do believe the meaning of life, why we are here, is to gain, you know, to live various lived experiences. I'm not going to say it's always going to be easy. Nothing great in life is easy, nor should it be. Because through challenging things, again, we've talked about great new perspectives can emerge. But I believe the meaning of life is for us to navigate the complexities and the beauty of being human, to recognize we never will have the answers to everything. That feels uncomfortable for some people, but a tip for another resilient mindset is be comfortable being uncomfortable. If you do that, you'll really start to find a lot of joy in life and really get curious about a lot of things. But to me, the meaning of life is to give. It's to give just selflessly, to give in any way you can for the betterment of the greater good. It's central to, again, another operating principle of mine I talked about, but it's central to my professional work. As I say, in the work I do, how can I be serving others and how can I be serving something even greater than that and serving something much greater than myself? Because that's what life ultimately to me is all about. Well, Jess, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep inspiring, keep giving generously and without expectation and in doing so, creating so much well-being and vitality in the world. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Love this conversation and delighted to be on the show. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.